Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. I'm your host, Antoine Valter, and in today's episode, I'm very happy to welcome Alena Farger as my guest. Alena is principal at Sven Capital Partners and co-founder of the first European investment fund dedicated to renewable gases, Sven Impact Fund for Transition, or SWIFT. Today's episode is the second installment in our trilogy, which intends to answer this simple question. Will the hydrogen economy take off anytime soon? And will it have consequences for the water industry? Last week, we saw that there's an energy, mathematic and thermodynamic problem with the ambition to decarbonize our world with hydrogen beyond hydrogen itself. Today, we are going to qualify this statement. Alina will show us where hydrogen may apply in the future, which mechanisms can help it build its path to scale, how state incentives can help, and which role impact investors like Sven Capital will play in this developing hydrogen economy. You'll notice how Alena this week and Paul last week disagree on key parameters of the equation. But it's not black and white either. You'll recognize common ideas and patterns. To me, those two approaches are complementary, a bit like the yin and yang of the budding hydrogen economy. Before starting, let me tease you the last part of this trilogy airing next week, which will be addressing a promising practical case with the Hazel Group Limited Turquoise Hydrogen Demonstration Plant at Woodman Point in Perth, Australia. What's special about that plant, you ask? Well, it's a wastewater treatment plant. So are you hyped? Then make sure to subscribe to the podcast to not miss next week's release. Remember, if you like this episode, please share it, and I'll see you on the other side. You're listening to Don't Waste Water, the podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. For more information, visit gfps.com. Hi, Alena. Welcome to the show. Hi, Antoine. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm very happy to have you because we have an exciting topic for today. An exciting topic for many reasons. Exciting because I'm a muggle, so you'll see I have weird questions and I need your knowledge to bring me on track. And exciting because we will be diving into this topic of hydrogen and all the implications it may have. I think this is a hot topic right now for different reasons, for different stakeholders. But that little teasing aside, let's start with good old traditions, which start with the postcard. And you're sending me a postcard from Paris today. So what can you tell me about Paris, which I would ignore by now? Love from Paris. Look, if we stick to our hydrogen agenda, and please feel free to ask any questions that are not weird questions, I will be more than happy to discuss that with you. Postcast from Paris. I've just been riding a hydrogen taxi recently. So very nice experience. If you have a chance to come, please, I encourage you <laughs> to have a ride across the Apple Tower in this car. So yeah, you're more than welcome. Let's jump a bit into you before going into the heart of our topic. I was wondering when I was looking at your description, what is a renewable gas investor? How would you define that? What's your definition to that? A uh, renewable gas investor is investor <laughs> investing in renewable gas, if you prefer. But to be more serious, we are investing in biogas and hydrogen production and distribution assets all across Europe. 
And uh, the fund that we created two years and a half ago was the first one in Europe to be this specific niche investment fund. And myself and my team were very convinced of crucial role of renewable gases to support electrification for the success of the energy transition because, well, electrification only won't be enough to uh, deliver the carbon abatement we need at scale, at speed, and at cost. So there is, I see, a very strong complementarity between renewable electrons, which are, I feel, been more covered during past years, and renewable molecules, which uh, we are focusing on with uh, my investment team. So just to be clear, when you're saying you're investing in the gas, you're not investing in the gas itself, but in the facility which will be carrying the gas or producing that gas or, and so forth and so on, right? Absolutely right, yes. You mentioned Sven Capital Partners, which you said is two and a half year old, that's it? Sven is more than that. And the fund, which is Sven Impact Fund for Transition I'm looking for, is exactly two years and a half old. Okay, so just before going into the investment part of it, you have a history with hydrogen. I could be listing all the prestigious schools you've been doing. It's quite impressive. It's like, you name it, it's like a who's who and you've done all of them. And on top of that, you've done a PhD in, in hydrogen. Why hydrogen? What got you interested into that? Well, I'm a nerd. <laughs> um, and why hydrogen? Look, I've been studying engineering at first and uh, then get interested in renewable energies at some point of time because I really see that it is the next big challenge for all of us and we have no right not to succeed in this challenge and by that time it was an emerging space and uh, as is the case for now for some new clean tech it's more expensive and you need to have some adapted policy support at the very beginning to launch the uptake it was the case for renewable energy sources it is the case also for hydrogen and other clean tech clean clean tech so I've done some studies also in, in policy making at some point of time. And then I run this very interesting technology, hydrogen, which for me gives a holistic solution, a holistic approach to the energy transition challenge and looks and affects the energy system as a whole. Because what can be challenging is a lot of people, including myself, we are quite sector focused. And we may be tempted to search for a local optimal solution, which is not necessarily a global one. And as far as energy transition includes a lot of different angles, should it be production of energy, or should it be distribution, or should it be decarbonization of end uses, the hydrogen will have a role all of there. So I was thrilled and very interested to discover more. And at that point of time, when I started my PhD on this topic, it was quite new. I mean, hydrogen is not new, but hydrogen for the energy transition at that point of time was quite a fresh topic. And so, yeah, I worked on first applying hydrogen for decarbonization of the European transportation sector, including some work on dynamic carbon pricing and also financial means for hydrogen infrastructures financing. After that, I, well, my interest in hydrogen was confirmed. <laughs> so I stayed in hydrogen energy industry for six years. And uh, after that, I left to join the founding team of Swan Input Plan for Transition. That was the first European fund dedicated to these renewable gas, hydrogen and biogas investment topics. And what does that change to now be on that side? 
of the table because you, you've mentioned you've been in the policy part of it, in the industry part of it, and now you're in the finance part of it. Was it because that's where you thought there was a missing link or what's the reason there? My vision of uh, the development is that, well, for me, being a nerd, it's important to understand what is the technical side of the question. And hydrogen technologies are not very new, to be honest with you. It's been around for more than 80 decades. And hydrogen market is already quite a big market, mainly used for refineries and ammonia. We can deep dive in that if you want afterwards. So I don't see there, of course, there is always a place for innovation and new technologies and efficiency increase in all the technology existing bricks. I don't deny that. It's really good if it happens. However, for me, the main technology bricks are there. For the policy side, maybe you saw some recent announcements. I was very encouraged by them. 2020 and 2021 was a big year of announcement of uh, national green recovery plans in Germany, in France, in Spain, in Portugal, in the United Kingdom. And those governments are betting on hydrogen and putting an appropriate support for their announced ambition. It's multi-billion plants, around 10 billion per country. The European Commission has announced a 40 gigawatt electrolysis plant by 2030, and it's enormous, and we need to scale quite rapidly. So I saw that technologically, I would say it's quite well mastered. In policy, take some momentum. It takes time, of course. It would be better if it's more <laughs> rapid change. However, it's already, you know, in policy and social conscience to push to clean tech and including hydrogen. And what I saw at the moment I left the industry, the main challenge is the third one. You talk about dilemma in your, <laughs> in your blog. So this kind of dilemma as well, technology, policy and financial. I saw that the hydrogen are still perceived as quite risky by the investment space. And it's very difficult to be the first one in the investment space. So I've been looking here and there to understand if some, you know, existing investment funds will pick up the hydrogen team because, well, it's better to act now. Waiting is not an option, I would say. And as far as there have been none, actively pushing on that, I came across amazing people and I had a big chance to meet Olivier Francois and uh, Emmanuel, who was also working on this project of, you know, renewable molecules for the energy transition on the investment side. And so uh, Sven Impact Fund uh, for Transition was launched in uh, summer 2019. You mentioned the investments and the big plans which are right now existing from the countries which are planning to invest money into that sector. Why does it need also private capital to support that? Can't the public capital be sufficient to push the revolution? Short answer, no. <laughs> and it's not intended to be. There is no lack of capital on the market today. I would say the main challenge is to redirect the existing capital into new technologies, clean technologies, new energy, transition business models, etc. And uh, the idea here is to mobilize private money, industry money and policy money. Policy money are not there to stay. For me, the main role is to address the green premium, the green externality, which is not properly addressed by the market. Of course, there is a utility price, and we can also talk about that, but it's not enough. So this policy uh, policy support is there to initially reduce uh, the green gap, the green premium for hydrogen and for the clean tech, 
And uh, afterwards, there will be some economic effects like learning by doing, like scale effects, which will kick in and drive cost down to the competitiveness with existing, I would say, fossil-based technologies. We've been seeing that in PV, maybe you remember when PV started, it was more than three times the price of uh, the electricity, uh, grid electricity. And now we are hitting the price parity in more and more countries across the globe, and it will be continued, and it's very, very good. So the same thing will happen to hydrogen. The rates are a little bit different. The learning by doing basically is that when you double the accumulated production capacity, the price drops by a certain percentage. For wind and solar, it was around 30%. And for hydrogen and its different bricks, it's supposed to be between 10 and 17%. So the idea here and what we are aiming to achieve with my team is to launch this first project to bring necessary private finance. Of course, uh, the public projects are also publicly supported in some cases and create a proper risk sharing mechanism between project owners, between industry off-takers, between policy support and between private investors and debt investors as well. Talking of your investment fund, you just announced the closing of your second fund when it comes to those renewable gases, which means that you will be having at least 150 million euros to invest in these renewable gases. And your first fund, if I'm right, was of 75 million. So now in total, you have 225 million euros, which are at work to push a bit those topics. I have a very blunt and direct question. Do you think that this beautiful project of decarbonizing our economies can be profitable? And if yes, over which time window? To justify a bit, we have more than double of the amount you announced. The first fund was 175 million, and we were intended to deploy it over five years, and we've done it in two and a half years. So we are currently uh, raising the successor fund, exactly you told, the second magazine. And uh, we did our first closing at 150, and the target size for the fund is about uh, 300, 400 million. So it will be two times bigger than the previous one. So it's indeed quite a number of million to be invested in this space. Um, with the first fund, we, ha- we see a very good traction on the market because uh, in my team, uh, including myself, I have more an industrial background and I have another colleagues of mine who came also from industry. Some others are coming from financial. So we have some, let us say, cherry on the cake thing in more uh, rapid understanding of operational and industry uh, challenges. So we've been uh, following a very good traction and could address more than 100 installations all across Europe, which are financed or will be financed by us with the first fund. When you say 100 installations, what are we talking about? The production units for both biogas and hydrogen. For the hydrogen within the first fund, uh, we've done one investment in a French IPP, independent power producer, who will be creating hydrogen projects to decarbonize mobility in the industry. We can also, if you want, discuss how it can be done in general terms. And uh, for the second fund, uh, we stay on the same premises with uh, quite similar investment thesis, uh, supporting uh, renewable gas, I mean, biogas and hydrogen production and distribution projects all across the globe this time. The first one was an European one, and uh, now we are expanding a little bit our geography. You also asked about the profitability. We are not a charity foundation. We are an investment fund. 
So we also raised some money on the on the market with our own investors and also aimed some profitability there, which are which is in line with the current market expectations. So indeed, uh, the challenge here is to create with the project owners long-term profitable business models, which we've been successfully doing for two years and a half now, and we are currently also anticipating the forthcoming regulation, which is not yet for hydrogen, I mean, not yet retranscribed in the local laws. In France, we hope it will be done by the end of the year. In other countries, uh, laws are under consultation as well. However, as I said, we don't want to wait. I firmly believe that uh, this will happen. And we are already taking some good marks and some good projects to start already now. When you say that regulation are in the cooking somehow, what will the regulation tell? Will it say you have to have a certain share of your energy mix, which has to come from hydrogen and renewable biogas, or what will it be? Although thank is already publicly announced. So this is not, let us say, the question anymore. The question now is what kind of support mechanism will be implemented by different states. To give you an example of solar, it was a feed-in tariff. Uh, the same is true for biogas. We have an injection premium, feed-in tariff, what we call. And basically, this is a state who guarantees some visibility of your future cash flow and also accounts for this green premium. So for hydrogen, there is no yet that visibility because these kind of very particular laws haven't been uh, voted and implemented. However, they are the cooking, as you said. What I saw, there are different means uh, under discussion to support uh, the hydrogen economy across Europe. There are, of course, continuation of some CAPEX subsidies, basically helping to finance the capital expenditure of the infrastructure projects should it be production or distribution already existing, and it will continue. There are also some OPEX side support under discussion, and there is one I really appreciate in particular, which is hopefully will be voted in France. Basically, this is a law supporting rather consumption than production, and basically making a green premium, paying well, ensuring a green premium for the customer, meaning that. A customer choosing between green and gray hydrogen will have those two molecules at the parity or almost. And so the extra to be paid for the green content of hydrogen will be acceptable for the client. And uh, let us say a big uh, chunk of this difference will be paid by the state for some time, of course. It's not, uh, I really want to stress here that those kinds of policy supports are not there forever. And it's, it's great. The idea is that it's there long enough to support the uptake and to benefit from this learning by doing effects and cost and ensure necessary cost reduction to bring these technologies at cost parity with or within significant CO2 price. So it's kind of building this path to scale and support that transition to a point where it's just economically in the middle of the market. Absolutely. You mentioned gray and green hydrogen. When I started digging a bit into this word of hydrogen, I was surprised at this very colorful word, which is hydrogen. And there's actually much more than just green and gray. So why did you decide to focus on green and not, I don't know, blue or turquoise or purple? Rainbow hydrogen. 
uh, yeah, maybe let me give you a little bit of overview of what are the colors and uh, how does it work. The hydrogen market is existing market, mainly on today in 95. It's multi-billion market. It's very, well, it's quite a big one. The main consumers are refineries and uh, fertilizer producers. The uh, hydrogen today, well, 98% of hydrogen produced today is produced from steam methane reforming from fossil fuel, basically you crack the, if it's from natural gas, the CH4, you crack it in two, you have H2 hydrogen on one hand and CO2 carbon on the other hand. For one ton of uh, hydrogen, you emit almost 10 tons of CO2 using this technique. And this, what we call gray hydrogen, is let's say a classical one. However, I want you to keep in mind, if you take this gray hydrogen and you put it in a car, and you run it next to the diesel car already in terms of overall emissions, you will be better than the diesel one. However, the idea here, if we want to unveil the full potential of hydrogen for the energy transition, we need to decarbonize production. And the challenge is big and double. So we need to decarbonize the production in one hand, and we also need to deploy different markets. Some of them are existing, for example, those consuming gray hydrogen today. However, there are many, many of them new ones, including the decarbonization of transport, decarbonization of heating, industry, using hydrogen with a captured CO2 to create e-fuels, you name it. There are a lot of things to be developed at the same time. So we have this double transition. And if we focus on the decarbonization of hydrogen production, there are different means of doing that. The most straightforward is to capture the carbon on the existing assets, on the new one, new ones. And uh, this can be done, and it's already done in some locations in a centralized way. So basically you have a production plant and you have cryogenic green there, technology to capture carbon, and it allows you to capture around 60%. You can have more costly technologies and capture up to 90%. However, the, uh, well, the market practice as for today, this is, uh, I would say, 60, 60% benchmark of carbon capture which will add something between one to three euros per kilo for your hydrogen production cost, knowing that for gray hydrogen, the market price, well, before the drastic increase in the natural gas price was around 1.5 to 2 euros per kilo. So you have this, let us say, intermediate way where you reduce the carbon content of your hydrogen production by 60%. That would be blue hydrogen, right? Exactly. Exactly. So keep this in mind. You have gray, you have blue. And of course, we want to go a step further and go to zero emissions. And that can be done. This is the objective for a lot of states. They are explicitly pledging for great hydrogen. And this can be done in two ways. Basically, if you replace the natural gas by biomethane, which has a zero carbon footprint, so basically, you, the hydrogen you will produce will inherit in a way this carbon content that will be also considered as green. And another way you maybe saw it a lot, it's covered a lot in prices for now, it's electrolysis with renewable electricity, where you take water molecule, you pass a current in there, and basically your water molecule H2O will split in two, in H2 hydrogen and O2 oxygen. And uh, uh, here I also want to stress that the electricity you are using should be, must be renewable. Because if, for example, you put your electrolysis in your plant in Germany, well, the whole process uh, called electrolysis of water and the installation which uh, does that is electrolysis installation. 
and electrolyzer, if you put it in the plug, for example, in Germany, and use the electricity from the German grid, which is quite carbonized, well, you rather should do the ECMR in terms of carbon footprint, it will be better. So I really want to stress out that it's really crucial to have renewable energy powering your electrolysis to be able to call the hydrogen green and to have a zero carbon footprint of that. So we had, well, let us say, 100% emission, uh, one ton of hydrogen, well, one ton of hydrogen, 10 tons of CO2 gray one. Then you go down by 60%. It's a blue one. Then you go to zero. It's a green one. And what is very nice, you can push the logic even to the negative emission if, uh, for example, you use biomethane to produce your hydrogen and capture the CO2, which is emitted in the process. In this case, your uh, is the only technology which can uh, give you hydrogen with a negative carbon footprint. Actually, the discussion we're having right now is part of a trilogy on that podcast, and this is episode two of the trilogy. And the episode three is an interview I have with the Australian company called Hazer. And what Hazer does is that they have installed their process on a wastewater treatment plant. So they have biogas as an input source, and then they do carbon capture in the hydrogen process because they use the graphite, they transform that, that carbon into graphite and they reuse the graphite so the carbon is captured, which is exactly what you were explaining right now. That is a negative carbon process. And actually, that's interesting because you are investing in both biogas and hydrogen topics. And it sounds to me like if you combine both, you're exactly at that point. So is it part of your investment thesis to take both the projects and bridge them together? It makes a lot of sense in some locations. In some locations, it does not. However, well, you know that the energy transition is quite regional specific. And so, of course, if we can explore the synergies between our biogas and hydrogen produce, we do so. And um, I will be thrilled to listen to your thoughts <laughs> interview. Uh, tell them to bring the technology to you. <laughs> I will be more than willing to have a look. <laughs> you mentioned those various levels of hydrogen and, and why that makes sense to go into the green or beyond. I'd like just to take one step back. And what are we exactly trying to do with this hydrogen? Is it a replacement of the gray hydrogen, one-to-one? Or does the ambition go beyond that and say there are other parts of the energy mix which we could replace by hydrogen, so maybe taking directly on fossil fuels or, I mean, there are many different options, but what is the primary aim? As I told you, what is really nice about hydrogen is that you can decarbonize a lot of things with it. So with the projects I'm considering today, there are, I would say, two main directions. Of course, mobility. You can power cars, bus, trucks, trains, planes, boats by hydrogen. And the only thing you will emit will be water in the process. No CO2, no NOx, no SOX, no whatsoever. So it makes a lot of sense. And there are some cases which are quite economical already today. A very small example is a forklift. Uh, you may know. There are a lot of companies here in Europe, but also in the States, who are choosing hydrogen forklifts for the, especially for the food entrepreneurs, because in this case you don't have any emission. It's really very relevant when you are treating food. Big autonomy, very fast recharging time, uh, the use uh, which is very close to the use of uh, diesel ones. However, there's no uh, emissions in there involved. 
For mobility, also, it makes a lot of sense to put hydrogen when you want to travel long distances, and especially when you want to travel long distances or transport heavy weight. So there are here and there projects for buses, for trucks. Uh, you maybe saw there are some hydrogen trains already running in Germany, and there have been uh, some discussion and commands done by France and the UK to replicate uh, this uh, success in Germany. This is the first, let I say, direction, the transportation. The second direction is industry. And here you, you will mention that you have double option. You can either replace the hydrogen, gray hydrogen, which is already in use by green one. It can be done in refining one ammonia, especially ammonia production. And you can also replace some other carbon-based fuels by hydrogen directly. It can be the case, for example, in steelmaking, where you replace coke by hydrogen, you change a little bit the industrial process and uh, it is used to oxidize the final product. So this is a really interesting subject and we're discussing with some steelmakers uh, because for them it's very difficult or almost impossible to electrify. So the hydrogen is a valid option for them. And also you have this public concern and push to have green steel. Maybe you also heard about that. So to have also sustainable materials and uh, with reduced or limited carbon footprint. And here hydrogen also can help. Another industrial example can be production of uh, synthetic fuels, what we call e-fuels. Basically what you do, you will take green hydrogen and combine it with CO2 captured somewhere just to make a small parenthesis for the energy well to in order to succeed in energy transition we may use four major levels levels there the first one of course is replacing fossil fuels by renewables the second one is being able to use these renewables and switch to zero emission carriers such as electricity and hydrogen we also need to do massive CCS or CCU or carbon capture storage or carbon capture usage there and also, of course, not last but not the least, the energy efficiency and consumption reduction. So, in order to limit our uh, and respect the carbon budget, which is left to be compatible with 1.5 or 2 degree scenario, we don't have that much time and don't, not that much budget. So, we need to use extensively default them and the carbon capture. Well, we need to do something with that carbon, and uh, this captured carbon can be utilized and combined with hydrogen in order to produce synthetic fuels, which can replace the fuels which will stay in, in the ground, which we will not extract. And basically different studies estimate, I would say around one third of the known fossil fuel resources should stay in, in ground, stay where they are, if we don't want to drastically overrun the carbon budget we have. So that makes sense as well. And during the transition path, of course, you know, for fossil-based solution will be there. We cannot switch the entire energy system globally by night. So it will be a progressive process. And uh, already along this way, the synthetic fuels produced from green hydrogen captured carbon can already help and replace a part of these fossil fuels which will be based during the transition uh, period. You mentioned how... I mean, there are so many different types of assets which you could be investing right now, right? The, the total list you just gave just now gives a hint at all the possible applications. Do you intend to focus on some of them or do you want to be agnostic and say, we are putting some bets in all these races and one of the horses might win and then 
maybe the main output is going to be, I don't know, new fuels or I'm in one of them. And then at least we have some stakes in that game. I hope the entire Palonkeo horses will win. <laughs> will will drag us over to for uh, the carbon emission reduction because this is also one of our main objectives for the fund. We decided it to be an impact fund, so we also focus very attentively on the carbon reduction we are generating with our project, which is quite well. This is quite important for us and for the partners we are working with. So you may notice that we are. We niche funds quite focused already on biogas and hydrogen. And uh, for the hydrogen, I'm, I'm looking for the different applications I, I just mentioned to you. I look on, on production, should it be used for decarbonization of mobility or industry, whatever industry is. Also heating, we didn't talk about that, but with hydrogen, you can produce a low and high grade heat. Should it be for domestic or industrial applications? The synthetic fuels we discussed as well. So there is a lot of things you can do. And some projects make more sense in particular locations. And uh, it's quite, yeah, regional specific approach as for now, because we don't have whatever support. It's quite fragmented. Europe has been leading uh, this process since two years as for now, after the announcement of the European Commission and uh, follow on of uh, national plans. So, yes, depending on the country, depending on the region, depending on the green hydrogen of taker, the solution will vary. However, all of them can be feasible and can make a lot of sense depending on, uh, well, decarbonization is a very big one, huh? <laughs> the challenge I mean, so there is a lot of to be done. You mentioned this regional fragmented aspect of the topic. I've seen that Sven Capital has invested in life. So that's a company which is doing this electrolyzers, which are turning wind farm energy into hydrogen. I think the first unit is a one ton per day production plant. And if I'm right, it's in the north of France. It's next to Nantes. Yes. If you come around, you're more than welcome to visit. It's a very nice installation. My question was going to be a nasty question against France. So pardon me that. But you mentioned this original fragmented aspect. If I was to make a plant of this kind, probably I'll have even better yields if I install my plants in Chile or in Australia or somewhere on the west coast of Africa because there I could combine a desert with an ocean, which means strong winds at night. I could have some solar panels on top of that, which would pour a little bit of additional energy into my mix. Is it really a technology that has a chance to be put everywhere or does it have to be adapted to regional and local conditions? Oh, this is a very, what you are describing is a kind of long-term vision for how the global hydrogen system may work. It's a more centralized way you are describing. And indeed, there are countries with richer solar and wind potential than France or the UK, for example. So indeed, hydrogen being an energy vector, meaning that you can produce hydrogen from energy and reproduce energy from hydrogen, which is nice. You can transport energy in form of hydrogen between different regions and different sectors. Because, for example, it's well, quite difficult to have electricity lines, I don't know, between somewhere between Australia and Japan. However, you can transport molecules, which are easy to be transported, and electrons over longer distances. And uh, this hydrogen can be transported in whatever form for big volumes, it can be done in a liquid form or in a form of uh, ammonia or hydrogen carriers, etc. 
However, for me, it's describing a more, I would say, long-term scenario. And as for now, there are already some good setups of the projects you might have across the globe, across different countries, which think of hydrogen as one of the technologies which we need to invest in to decarbonize. France is a part of that. In France, we have already quite low carbon intensity of our electricity. However, as we discussed uh, earlier, if we really want to have green hydrogen only, you need to have uh, some renewables attached there. And what life has in France uh, next to Nantes is the first installation, which will be scaling up. And as for now, the hydrogen which is produced is uh, used mainly by uh, mobility. And what is also nice, and maybe I can stress that out, For hydrogen technology, it's a kind of a Lego brick, I would say. So you can start small and then just add some bricks and make a big installation. So in France or even in other countries, there are some projects in Nordics uh, we are uh, looking on. Let us say the needs for the installation can be of order of 100 megawatts. So it's quite a big one. Uh, Today, the biggest installation is uh, 30 megawatts existing already. So for mobility, you have installations, I would say, around 5 megawatts or less. And for industry, it makes sense, 20, 30 and even higher. And uh, what is really nice, and you have big projects like that, you can start small. You can already decarbonize, for example, a part of the process with uh, a part of hydrogen and also ensure that it works and it works good. And also uh, space a little bit as your your investment need all the time, and also not to do the overnight changes, but you know progressively uh, decarbonize the the things. And uh, hydrogen makes a lot of sense there because yes, being this uh, capacity of kind of Lego blocks, you can add some uh, steps for electrolysis and also extend your your installation. So this is a nice thing also to to bear in mind. And do you expect some scale effects happening if those installations grow bigger and larger? Sure. You have this double effect to learning by doing. You know, well, we are benefiting and contributing all of us in that by, you know, starting with small or mid hydrogen projects today already. So we are increasing this cumulative power production capacity installed. This is a common effort we need to make all of us, even if uh, we expect that hydrogen will drop a lot in the price in the coming years. We have no option to wait until someone does it because no one steps in, it won't won't happen. So there is also a um, conscious and uh, not coordinated, but in a way common effort to contribute to this cost reduction pathway. And this is first effect, the learning by doing. And the second one is the scale effects you mentioned. So the bigger the installation, uh, the less um, corresponding cost should it be in euros per kilo and dollars per kilo or whatever. At the very beginning of this conversation, you mentioned how hydrogen could be supplementing and augmenting the electrification. Is it that way that we will have the two technologies in the future which will coexist and each has its role and each is helping a bit the other? Or don't you fear that at some point we have kind of a winner takes all and uh, we all go for electricity and then you're you're doomed or we all go for hydrogen and then it's a jackpot for you 
Do you afraid that today the electricity used in an apartment will conquer the gas you use for cooking some sometime? Or <laughs> so basically, we already have two coexisting infrastructures and two energy carriers, so that's not the problem, I would say. And I really see the need of complementarity of two of them, both from the decarbonization potential and the speed we can go with. So, you know, with two technologies, you do more than with only one. And also in terms of associated costs, because when you go, for example, full electric, if I take the example of transport, there's been a scenario for, let us say, full battery electric, okay, for passenger cars. And if you decrease this 100 scenario and you put 10% only of fuel cells in the mix, the overall cost of the system this is, let us say, global uh, optimum and not the local one, is uh, more cost-efficient because for full electric, at some point of time, the very last percentages require quite drastic investments in the grid reinforcement and some extra production capacities. And hydrogen, which is more adapted to the renewable energy profile and the energy you can store in form of hydrogen, makes that those investments in the grid reinforcements are more acceptable and the overall cost of the system is less. So this is a very small example for mobility for passenger cars, which is quite sectoral field. And uh, uh, you can extend exactly the same logic for the entire system. So that's also why we we are pledging and we are working for the complementarity of renewable molecules and renewable electrodes to make the energy transition a success at cost and at speed. If I keep Comparing a bit, I think your, your explanation is very clear. I mean, it's true that electricity didn't kill gas, and it's, it's true that we have several energy carriers. It's a very, very clear way to present it. Now, if I still compare a bit the path to market from hydrogen to the path to market from electricity, electricity had all these devices which helped to have this path to scale. The first guy who had a phone with a battery was paying his battery crazily expensive for what it is, but the service of the, the phone was worth it. And that way we had this path to scale. On the hydrogen side, you mentioned the, the heavy transport, which is going to help to have this path to scale. But if I recall maybe five or 10 years ago, there was this idea that maybe much more fuel cell vehicles would be on the road. So also this personal vehicle. So do you fear that you might be missing some links in the chain of that path to scale? Um. Let us maybe take an example of transportation sector. It's a, good, it's a good one you're bringing on the table. So the transportation sector is quite segmented. So you have, let us say, small cars. And for some of these segments in the transportation, batteries are great. And they will continue to be there, I hope, and you know, bring us to even more cost reduction. And it makes absolute sense to have battery electric for your work home commuting. So that's fine. It makes less sense than it is necessary to transport more weight over long distances. Should it be trucks or trains? At some point of time, you just add and add batteries. And because it's heavy, you need to add even more batteries. And at some point, it just makes no sense. So I would say this is kind of, there are some segments for, for which the choice is clear. Should it be battery or hydrogen? For some areas, there is a mix and match and there is a competition there. However, what I also want to stress that both technologies are needed. There is these three aspects of 
you know, making the system greener and the challenge is big. And so depending on the sector we are talking, there will be some complementarity. The uh, sun or wind to wheel efficiencies of battery electric and fuel cell electric vehicles can be comparable. Uh, the CO2 over life cycle assessment as well. So if you have both in the system, it can also allow uh, more renewables because, as I said, you can store and transfer energy from hydrogen across different sectors and regions. And also import, as you were describing, the world in, in, in a centralized hydrogen production imported from uh, wind and solar rich regions to some of the consuming and importing regions in the long term. There is also a reduced material need. If we want to go all battery, uh, there is a stress on the, there can be a, a stress on nickel, cobalt and lithium mining. And if you put hydrogen in the system, you reduce the stress on material needs. And also, well, there is a platinum, which is used in catalyst process for the fuel cells. However, this platinum can be recycled up to 85-89%. So this is, like I say, greener aspect of the combined system. Uh, there is also a faster aspect of uh, this combined system because, well, if you have two technologies, you can move faster when it's only one. For some applications, you have a higher customer buy-in for hydrogen technologies because the recharging time is quite low and the autonomy you have is quite large. It makes a lot of sense for intense use, for example. And I've been giving you an example of the taxi uh, hydrogen taxi business in Paris. Because if you want to go zero emission in vehicles, you have two options, battery electric or fuel cell electric vehicles. And when you need to run 24-7, well, you don't want your car to be recharging for eight hours. This is the time you're not generating any profits. And also you can, you know, just lack autonomy somewhere. That makes sense for intense use or for heavyweights as well. We've been discussing trucks. Also, there is this diverse regional needs which can be uh, met in a met in a better way by electric uh, battery or by fuel cell electric it depends on the location and the project you have so that was i would say accelerated uh, faster aspects of two technologies to fuel the energy transition uh, dynamic and the first is the cost we've been discussing that as well so in the transportation sector, if you have both, you have less investment needed in reinforcing the grid and you reduce the peak loads. So I gave you an example of cost efficiencies for the two infrastructures instead of one. And basically the cost of hydrogen infrastructure, in, I would say 90, 10, 90 towards, uh, versus 10% scenario can be offset by the savings you made. So, yeah, and um, betting on more technologies, you do risk in a way, <laughs> you bet of uh, succeed in the energy transition and then you have more options. I really think that it's both, you know, combining these technologies together and, yeah, benefit from this, uh, I would say, more sustainable, uh, faster and cheaper aspects of two instead of one. Very clear. Let me throw a curveball at you, and I'm sorry about that. I mentioned that this is episode two of a trilogy. And by episode one, I was discussing with Paul Martin. He was explaining how the proponents of hydrogen might be useful idiots. I'll let you listen to what he said, because I guess you disagree, and I'd like to have your argumentation on it. Hydrogen is being pushed by two groups of people. It's being pushed by the fossil fuel industry, for whom it's a win-win situation. 
and it's being pushed by hydrogen's useful idiots. The useful idiots in the hydrogen regime, they're people that think they're going to make giant amounts of renewable electricity that nobody will know what to do with. And so they have to find something to do with it. So they're going to make hydrogen. I prefer to be (laughs) a useful idiot acting rather than (laughs) a very intelligent pessimist not doing anything. But yes, to be, uh, I will be more, well, I will be interesting to, to listen maybe for other arguments he's putting on. Indeed, there is a need to decarbonize for the oil and gas majors, and uh, hydrogen can play a role there. As I said, today, hydrogen is used in the refinery process extensively. And in any way, if you are a big oil and gas major, well, it's more challenging for you to stick to the carbon budget and you need to decarbonize. And so here, the hydrogen is a good and valuable option. You maybe saw some projects in the north of the UK. They are the city of Leeds, want to be 100% hydrogen and uh, adapt their distribution grid to be able to transport 100% of hydrogen by 2050. They run some uh, analysis there, and uh, it's shown that the hydrogen option is uh, uh, 150 billion less uh, expensive than full electrification. So they are running this project as for today. And it's good that hydrogen is considered as one of the options for oil and gas sector to, to decarbonize in a way and to change their business model, because at some point of time, we don't want to use fossil fuels anymore. So that's... I would say an argument for hydrogen. <laughs> and uh, another one I also consider to be an argument for hydrogen because we need to replace fossil fuels by renewable energy sources. And that's where I think we all agree on that. The electricity is difficultly stored. This is one of the big challenges as for, as for now to store electricity in big volumes over big durations. Uh, you can do a, a, a pumped water storage. However, you cannot have the geographical, uh, well, you cannot have it in all geographies, so there is also regional specific and uh, volumes available. And here, of course, hydrogen can also, you know, help this more, more massive integration of renewables, which is need to be done, and store this energy on uh, between different regions and different locations. And third argument I want to add from my own is that uh, this hydrogen can also decarbonize different sectors, should it be transportation, and we, I believe, talked a lot, covered <laughs> quite extensively uh, the challenges, the segmentation, the different technologies which can play a role, and the transportation, uh, especially when we need to have an intensive use or travel longer distances or transport heavy weight. We haven't spoken about aviation, but their hydrogen can also play a role by being combined with CO2 and converted in, in methanol kerosene in order to decarbonize the aviation sector as well. Uh, hydrogen will decarbonize industries which are difficult or impossible to electrify. Heating, uh, we've mentioned also synthetic fuels. So I would say that the aspects which are covered by hydrogen are quite large. It's quite holistic. And uh, I would say that uh, people working in hydrogen, they are rather driven and passionate and engage for the energy transition success uh, rather than any other thing. I think you mastered that curveball. <laughs> so congrats, and I think that's absolutely clear. I think what, what stands out from, from what you've been explaining so far is that 
first, we don't have to oppose hydrogen to other type of energy. It's another carrier which plays into the mix and which has different capabilities and different properties than the rest of the mix, which makes for a good complementary option. And yeah, if one person of anything is not possible, then you have to find the right mix and the right level of any type of carrier. And I think your explanation on, on what's the role of hydrogen into that play is absolutely clear. Which leads me to my closing question for this deep dive, which is a bit of a crystal ball question. As an impact investor, as an investor in that field of these green gases, be it biogas or green hydrogen, what will tell you that you've succeeded in 10 years? Oh, that's an excellent one. I would say that we succeed if we meet the CO2 abatement targets we're setting with my team, with all these great biogas and hydrogen projects we're working with. And there is, of course, this very big aspect of carbon emission reductions. However, it's not the only thing we're looking on. It also attracts, this sector also attracts some bright minds and driven people who want to act today for the energy transition. And this creates also some uh, jobs, which is uh, well received and well looked for in the current context. And yeah, I would say these two main things, if we attain the carbon budget we are, think, we are thinking to, to, to contribute, well, the reduction of the carbon we are thinking to contribute, and also the working places for people who act already today for the energy transition. If we hit on two of them, it will be a real success. I would really like to see a success, as you described it, because I think that's, <laughs> that's beneficial to the well-being and to the society in general. So I think that was a fascinating deep dive. You've shined a special light on, on, on that word. So I, I learned a lot of things. I propose you to conclude by switching to the rapid fire questions. It's time for the rapid fire questions. In that last section, I'll present you with short questions, which you can answer with short answers. And, um, and yeah, of course, I'm not cutting the microphone if you want to be longer, but theoretically the rule of the game is to be short. What is the most exciting project you've been working on and why? Uh, as for now, I would say yes, this uh, collaboration with LIFE, with French independent power producer with hydrogen, that's amazing. They have a great team, a great capacity to attain the ambition and decarbonize industry and uh, transportation with their project. So I'm really happy with our collaboration. Can you name one thing that you've learned the hard way? Working for energy transition can be tough. <laughs> and the challenge is big. And uh, sometimes uh, personally it makes me feel, you know, the challenge is such big. And I say, okay, I'm just, you know, me is just me. So this is a huge thing. What can I do? Okay. <sighs> Let us breathe, let us focus on so, some small thing I can act on and uh, deliver the impact I can. And I hope that if everyone does that that way, we can, you know, succeed in this big, big, big challenge. That's a really good one. <laughs> Is there something you're doing today in your job that you will not be doing in 10 years? I hope I won't be educating people about how hydrogen can be beneficial for the energy transition success because it will be common knowledge by then. I hope for you. <laughs> <laughs> You're contributing to this mission. Thank you, Antoine. <laughs> 
usually I'm, I'm asking here, what is the trend to watch out for in the water sector? So I can give you a bit of context. So why, from my water perspective, I'm discussing hydrogen is because the water sector was looking at hydrogen saying, okay, if you do electrolysis, in electrolysis, you need a lot of water and that lot of water, someone has to produce it. And shall we align for that? So here for that trend, do you think it's a reasonable concern from the water industry to say, we have to prepare ourselves to produce much more water because we need to make that available for the hydrogen sector? Look, the water stress is a good good topic to be discussed for the hydrogen applications. In some cases, there is no particular water stress, I would say. If you look for mobility application, where you take water, then you split the molecule to create hydrogen, then you put hydrogen in a fuel cell where it reacts with oxygen to create from, from air to create electricity and water. So you have a kind of a closed circle there. Uh, for some applications, the, the hydrogen is used, for example, for creating green fertilizers. Uh, this is not closed cycle. However, I don't see an enormous stress on water, and I I will be yeah interested to to have your 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 your, your look on that as well. However, yes, I do believe that uh, the hydrogen supply will be moving on. Electrolysis is quite ambitious targets, however, using water, of course, and electricity. However, it's not the only way to produce low-carbon hydrogen. You can do it also with biocast. You can also do it with uh, seamless and reforming using capture and storage. So I think there is a way, you know, to balance uh, any unnecessary effect on a, on a water stress. Last question for me. Would you have someone to recommend me that I should definitely invite on that microphone? Mm, let me think about that. Um... Well, of course, I can I can suggest you to speak with some of the project owners which are passionate we are working with. I will be glad to make uh, the intros. And uh, I think maybe some of our biogas partners with whom we are creating uh, biogas from water cleaning facilities may give you a good glance on how you can treat water, recycle waste and create green gas at the same place <laughs> by providing some, you know, nice jobs and some nice benefits for the for the community. I think this can be this can be a good subject for you. That would be absolutely of interest. So uh, I'm more than happy if you have some suggestions to make me. It's been a pleasure discussing with you for the past hour. If people want to follow on with you after this recording, where shall I redirect them the best? My LinkedIn. As usual, the link will be in the episode notes. Alena, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot for your insights. Sorry for my muggle questions. And um, I really hope for you that in 10 years, you don't have to explain all of that again. If not, you can just <laughs> send them back to that interview and say, hey, I did it all once. I don't have to do it all the time. Just go and listen to Anton podcast, please. <laughs> Which is a good advertising. Let, let me use that one as well. <laughs> you can. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, Antoine, for a nice discussion, for your nice questions, and best of luck with, with your project. Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.